John chapter 7, verse 42 is not necessarily a verse that would be typically thought of or turned to or, or even referred to as a Christmas verse. But as you read with me tonight, I think we could say without equivocation that verse 42 definitely is a messianic verse. It is a good Christmas verse which speaks about Christ coming out of the seed of David and out of the town of Bethlehem where David was. And as I look at that, I, I want you to notice with me just as way by way of introduction then in verses 40 to 42, there are several prophetic thoughts and statements that are made in these verses. For instance, we find that in verse 42, it makes mention of the fact that Christ would come out of the seed of David, which is very important about referring to the fact of his, that he would be a descendant of David, because as we look at Matthew 1.1, Matthew 1.1 announces Jesus in terms of being his, his Hebrew lineage as well as his lineage as a king, and it pronounces the king of the Jews there. So, you know, we know that Jesus did come from the seed of David, and we'll see some verses from 2 Samuel about that in a minute here. And uh, he did come from there. We know that, uh, that Jesus can trace his roots back to the throne of David. Uh, Joseph himself could trace his roots back to the throne of David. If you follow the human lineage of Mary, we know that Mary could trace her lineage back to Nathan, one of David's sons. And so we know that that's there. And then you notice in verse 42, not only can he be traced to the seed of David, but as we saw Sunday, Matthew, Micah 5.2 is right there in, in there, where he says that he would come forth out of, the, out of the town of Bethlehem, almost the same wording as Micah 5.2, that out of Bethlehem shall he come forth. And then there in verse 42, it, it mentions about the fact that he's Christ. It talks about the anointed one. I'll come back to that in a minute. Then notice in verse 40, it makes mention of the fact that, of a truth, this is a prophet. And it takes us there, I think it's, it's in Deuteronomy 18.15, where it speaks about the perfect prophet, the true prophet of God being Jesus Christ. And so the Jews in speaking this had a great familiarity of the Old Testament prophecies. They had a great, great familiarity of it. But the one word, the one name I want you to notice with me tonight that kind of is the focal point of this message is found in verse 42. It says here in verse 42 that Christ cometh out of the seed of David. And the word I want you to look at tonight is the name Christ. When we refer to Jesus, we refer to him as Jesus Christ. Jesus, the name Jesus, was a common boy's name. There were many common boys' names. Jesus was one of them. The Old Testament equivalent is the name Joshua. Now, I appreciate our Hispanic brethren. I appreciate uh, those who are, who are of Mexican descent and Spanish descent from Spain or Portugal descent. They have no qualms in naming their sons Jesus or Josue. Jesus or Josue, common boy's name. In the Western culture we come from, there's a sense of reverence we have to the name of Jesus. And you just don't find, you won't find, I, I've never met one yet, someone whose name, they, they have the name Jesus in Western culture. But there's a sense of a, of a reverence. And I'm not saying those of Spanish descent and Mexican descent or Portuguese descent don't have that. I, I'm just saying that there's just a different, different way of looking at it in terms of the name there. So when we look at the name Jesus, we see a common name. It means basically uh, Jehovah is my salvation or salvation of Jehovah, okay? But when we add Christ to that, there is an additional significance to the name that points back to Old Testament prophecy and looks to the fulfillment of the coming of the Messiah. Because Christ means the anointed one, or if you would, Messiah. Now we take that for granted, except for the fact we've got to go back to Old Testament Scripture to understand the mindset of every Jew. Now if you go to Hebrews 9.25, not Hebrews, excuse me, Daniel 9.25, I want you to turn there, and the rest of the verses from there on, I'm going to just read them to you. But go with me to Daniel 9.25, we see something interesting there. In Daniel 9.25, we have the reference there to Jesus Christ, 
as Messiah the Prince. Now, he's not called Jesus Christ there, but we do know that as we read Matt, uh, Daniel chapter 9, verses 25 to 27, unequivocally, without a doubt, it is referring to Jesus Christ here. One of the great passages of Scripture there. And it refers to, excuse me, verse 25 27 of the coming of the Lord and the countdown of all that. And, and it's just one of those verses of Scripture to do that. But notice, Daniel 9.25 says, it refers to him as Messiah the Prince. Now, the word Messiah, or the word means anointed, the anointed one. The same like Christ, the anointed one. The one who is specifically selected of God, who would come to fulfill the purposes of God. And the purpose of God would be to come for his people, the Jews. He would come for the world. He would come for salvation. That's why when we read Matthew 1.1, Matthew 1.1 poignantly and, and powerfully starts off this way. It says, the book of the generations of Jesus Christ, of Jesus Jehovah's salvation, the anointed one. It specifically points out, points out, when you have Jesus Christ, it specifically points out Christ as the Messiah, as the anointed one, as the one sent from God for the salvation of the world. Very specifically it says that. Now, even Jesus, as he refers to himself, did not refer to himself as the Christ. He asked men, who do you say that I am? And in Matthew 16, 16, uh, Peter said, of a truth, Lord, thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Now tonight, we're going to look at some scriptures that speak of Jesus' first coming. We're going to look at quite a few scriptures tonight that speak of Jesus' first coming so that we can fully appreciate His arrival, His appearance as we go into this Christmas here. Beginning in Genesis 3.15, here we go. Now I'm going to start reading the verses. If nothing else, write them down. In Genesis 3.15, the very first mention of the arrival and the appearance of Jesus Christ is mentioned there. Joseph, excuse me, Adam and Eve have sinned. God has met with them in the garden. He's told them about their sin. They have gone from the status of innocence and sinlessness and immortality to now where their conscience has arisen. They have now gone from innocence to conscience to sin and mortality. I mean, you have to think about this. The curse upon the, upon the ground, the curse upon the human race has just happened. Matthew, Romans 5.12, by one man sin into the world. It came through the first Adam. Well, you can imagine the, the, the darkness and the sadness that's over, that, that is now hanging over all of the world because of what Adam and Eve have done. God is not done there yet. And he tells them something that in the midst of all this, he weaves a wonderful messianic promise into this in Genesis 3.15. Notice it. In Genesis 3.15, I'll read it to you. He says, and I will put enmity between thee and the woman. Now, who is he talking to? God is talking to Satan who manifests himself through the serpent. He's talking to Satan, but Adam and Eve are there. You have to remember that in perspective. He's talking to Satan, but Adam and Eve are there. And he says, but I will put enmity between thee and the woman. Notice this. Between thy seed and her seed. What seed is he talking about, about, about Satan? Well, the seed that would proceed would be the sinful race that would come from Adam and Eve. Every person born in this world with a sin nature is, is automatically at their birth. They are a child of the devil. You read that in Ephesians chapter 2. They are, a they are sons of the devil. Listen, you have no other reason to get saved. You want to get saved because you don't want to be a child of the devil. Amen? A child of darkness there. And so he says, I will put enmity between thee and her, between thy seed and her seed. Her seed is referring to Jesus Christ. And it says, it shall bruise thy head and thou shalt bruise his heel. Now the bruising of the heel of Jesus Christ is saying that Satan would energize the, the, the mobs 
that would lead to the crucifixion. Jesus, he'd bruise his heel, but with that same heel, Jesus would bruise Satan. That Jesus would conquer him. That bruising of his head refers to the fact that Jesus steps on Satan and conquers him and is victorious over him. So the very first mention of a prophecy of the, of the Messiah is Genesis 3.15. We're not done there. Let's go, let's go further. Genesis 49.10. In Genesis 49.10, he is Shiloh who came from the tribe of Judah. Listen to what it says. The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet, until Shiloh come, and unto him shall the gathering of the people be. Now, I love this verse. It's a wonderful verse. First of all, it tells us that the Messiah would come from the tribe of Judah. Secondly, not only would he come from the tribe of Judah, but it speaks about the scepter. Kings hold the scepter. It speaks about his royalty. It speaks about the fact that he's the king of heaven. And then it says, until Shiloh come. Now, Shiloh was a very, 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 uh, how should I say this? It was a very, very wonderful name that was given to our Lord. Shiloh basically means tranquility. And from that, we get the idea that Jesus Christ is the Prince of Peace. It could very well be that when the Lord spoke to Isaiah and, and giving him Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, and he references Jesus Christ as the Prince of Peace, it could very well be that the Lord put on his mind Genesis 49, uh, 49, 10 here about the, about Shiloh come when he talked about peace. And that peace he speaks of there, I think of, I think of there in John chapter 15, verse 27, where Jesus said, my peace I give unto thee, not as the world giveth, give I unto thee. He's talking about this tranquility that he shall give. We go on from there and we look at Exodus chapter 3, verse 14. And Jesus pronounces, him, uh, Moses, God pronounced himself as I am, the self-existent one. In Genesis, in Exodus three fourteen, God said unto Moses, I am that I am. Now, when we consider that, we go fast forward to the New Testament, especially to the Gospel of John. That's very foremost in John's mind as the Holy Spirit is speaking to him and writing the Gospel of John. And Jesus introduced himself to us as this way. I am the living water. I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the door. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, the life. I am the true vine. He is, I am. He is the self-existent one. And he says, and he, he pronounced it there in, Genesis, in Exodus 3.14 and saying, I'm the self-existent one. I always am, always was, always will be the same. Jesus Christ the same yesterday, today, and forever. I am. Numbers 24.17, he's the star of Jacob. We saw some headlines this week, this earlier this week on Monday. Some of you probably looked at him. The lining up of Jupiter and Saturn. And the great star in the sky. That was not the star of Jacob, but some would call that the star of Christmas. This star of Jacob, notice what it says in Numbers 24, 17. Here, here's, here's what he said. Balaam said, uh, he said, I shall see him, but not now. I shall behold him, but not nigh. There shall come a star out of Jacob, and a scepter shall rise out of Israel, and shall smite the corners of Moab, and destroy all the children of Sheth. Well, we go over to Matthew 2, 2. And these wise men from the east come to Herod in Jerusalem. And they said, where is he that is born the king of the Jews? For we have seen his star, notice, a star in the east and have come to worship him. Now they studied the scriptures. They studied astronomy, but they studied the scriptures. And as they studied the scriptures, they went to the scriptures first. And they read about the star of Jacob. They read about the scepter, the king. They say, equated it as scepter and a king. They went a little bit further and saw. Messiah the prince and they said ah he's a king and he's a king of the Jews because even there in, in I think it's in Daniel 825 he's called the 
the Prince of Princes. In Daniel 9.25, he's called the Prince, the Messiah, the Prince. And so these, these wise men from, from, the, from Persia, from the east, they put it all together and they saw that he's the star of Jacob. And they followed that star and by faith they believed that that star they saw was to, would lead them to the one that they would worship. We go to Deuteronomy 18.15. In Deuteronomy 18.15, Jesus Christ is the true prophet of God. The Lord said this, The Lord thy God will raise up unto thee a prophet, capital P, a prophet from the midst of thee, of thy brethren, like unto me, unto him ye shall hearken. He's a prophet whose every word would be kept. He's a prophet would be unshakable in everything he said. No wonder they would say in John chapter 740, they would say this, Of a truth thou art the prophet, because they're thinking here of, of the fulfillment in Deuteronomy 18.15. Joshua 5.14, listen to this. Joshua 5.14, he's the captain, listen to this, the captain or the prince or the one who's supreme leader. Now, it's interesting here. Here in Joshua, notice this is the pre-incarnate appearance of our Lord Jesus Christ to Joshua before the conquering of Jericho. It's very significantly pictured here. And so Joshua sees this man standing there with a sword and uh, he goes up to him and he says, Art thou for us or art thou against us? And he said, Nay, but as captain of the host of the Lord am I now come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and did worship. Now, we don't worship angels, but we worship God. And he said, what saith my Lord and his servant? Joshua knew who this was. Now, I want you to think with me for just a minute. That word for captain, as we go to the New Testament, the word for captain... The word for prince in the New Testament both mean the same. It's speaking about the one who's supreme leader, the one who's in charge. You go over there to Acts chapter 3, verse 15. It speaks about Jesus Christ being the prince of life. Same word we get our word captain from. Later on, it talks about him being prince and savior. We go over to, to over there to the book of Hebrews. And the Hebrews speaks to us about Jesus Christ being the captain of our salvation. We go over to Hebrews again in Hebrews 12. And it calls him the author and finisher of our faith. The word for author is the same word for captain. That idea came from Joshua chapter 5 when Joshua met with him. Joshua had an idea, a thought, a concept there of the pre-incarnate, about the, excuse me, about the, about the Messiah coming. He had a pre-incarnate appearance. He had an idea, a concept of the Messiah appearing. Then we go to Judges chapter 13, which you notice this, this is interesting. Judges chapter 13, verses 18 to 19. Now here we have the appearance, the, the, we have a theophany again. We have the pre-incarnate appearance of our Lord Jesus Christ. But this is to Manoah, the father of Samson. This is to Manoah. And so, uh, the angel of the Lord says here in Joshua 13, uh, Judges 13 verses 18 to 19. And the angel of the Lord said unto him, Why askest thou thus after my name? He, he asked him, he said, What is thy name? And he asked, so he replied back with a question. He said, why askest thou thus after my name? Notice this, seeing it is secret. Now, if you study the Hebrew, the word for secret means wonderful. Seeing my name is, and, we, and, the, and the, the translators use secret because there wasn't a more powerful word they could use to underscore the idea of, wonder, uh, of wonderful. Now, you go down to verse 19, notice this. And Manoah took a kid with a meat offering and offered it upon a rock unto the Lord, and the angel, notice, did wondrously, same word, wondrously, 
Same word for secret. Now, we go down a little bit further. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. And his name shall be called Wonderful. Same concept here. The same idea. His name is beyond description. Thanks be unto God for his unspeakable gift. It's beyond description. There are not, there are no words in the English vocabulary or any vocabulary that can describe the wonderfulness and the uniqueness and the blessedness of our Savior Jesus Christ. But if you notice here, this is somewhat preparing us for the messianic appearance. Then 2 Samuel 7, 16. 2 Samuel 16, we read there, he's the heir to David's throne, a throne that is forever and forever. And it says this as David is thinking about the ark now being brought to Jerusalem and the worship of God. And now God had promised to him uh, all these things. But notice the promise here of a kingdom that would be forever and forever. And in 2 Samuel 7, 16, he said, and thine house and thy kingdom shall be established forever before thee. Notice this, thy throne shall be established forever. Can you imagine David there, the euphoria of the moment? Can you imagine the excitement? Can you imagine how inspired he is at the moment that just the worship of God and the tabernacle is now here at the house of God, here in David's, David's brought back to the city, and God telling him, thy throne shall be established forever. And all of a sudden he's enlarging upon things because we go from an Abrahamic covenant and to the covenant to Isaac and the covenant to Jacob. Now we have a divinic covenant. The Davidic covenant would be about the fact that, that, he, that he would have a, a throne forever and ever. Well, who would be that son that descended would be on that throne? He's speaking about Jesus Christ. Certainly, as we read 2 Samuel 7, he speaks about Solomon and Solomon following. But bigger than that, bigger than Solomon, is the fact that he would have a throne forever and ever. And as we read about this, this is where we saw this in John 7:42, And we read other places where he comes from the throne of David. He would descend from there. Well, we go a little bit further on. Now we get to Isaiah 7.14. And Isaiah 7.14, very familiar passage, but wonderful one. Jesus Christ is called Emmanuel, God with us. In Isaiah 7.14, we have the prophecy concerning the virgin birth of Christ. It says, therefore, the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive. Now, just that one sign by itself should have convinced the Jews, right? Just that one sign by itself. The Jews require a sign. But even then, their hearts were filled with such unbelief. You would think through the virgin birth that many Jews would have put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. But it did not happen. Therefore, uh, he says here, the Lord shall give you a sign. To behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and thou shalt call his name Emmanuel. Now, think with me for just a minute, because we take it for granted. In the Old Testament... Pre-incarnation, pre-incarnation, he is God who is for us. That's how God represents himself to his people. He is God for us. Now we have the incarnation. Jesus has come. He is God with us. He is God with us. That's what his name means. Emmanuel, God with us. But after the incarnation, Jesus has died. He's buried. He's risen again from the dead. He's ascended to heaven. What about after the incarnation? He's God who is in us. He's God who dwells in us. He's Christ in you, the hope of glory. And so we have this wonderful promise here in Isaiah 7, 14, this prophecy of Emmanuel and the virgin birth. Now we get to Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7. And he's the child that is to be born and the son who is given. And I'll read it to you. He says, For unto us a child is born, and unto us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. Now that gives me comfort. When I think about the shakiness of our government, that's an encouragement to me. The government is upon his shoulder. Amen. He's in charge. He's all going to make it fit and work out later on. But the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name. Now you have to think about the fact that the king who was on the throne at that time, King Ahaz, was not a very good name. And he wasn't a very good king. And the and uh, you have to think about this, that, that later on he'd have a grandson who'd have a very terrible name as well. But he says, and his name shall be called Wonderful 
Counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace, of the increase of His government and peace, there shall be no end. And upon the throne of David and upon His kingdom, to order it, to establish it with judgment and justice, with justice from henceforth for even forever, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform a wonderful prophecy there. Now we go on from there and we look at Isaiah chapter 11. Notice Isaiah chapter 11, verses 1 and 2. There he's called the rod and the branch out of Jesse. Now further, further, just uh, a strengthening of the fact that he would that, uh, that he would be a descendant of David. And it says here in, in Isaiah chapter 11, and he, there shall come forth a rod out of the stem of Jesse and a branch shall grow out of his roots and the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him and the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. And so he sees the rod and branch out of Jesse. Now we go back to Daniel 825, which I mentioned earlier. In Daniel 825, he's the prince of princes. This exalts him above all others. And you got to bear in mind the significance of this because we're talking about this is mentioned after Nebuchadnezzar and this is mentioned after the after the prophecies that were given about the four kingdoms. So you have Nebuchadnezzar, and you would have Cyrus, and you'd have, you'd have Darius of, of, of the Persian descent. And then you'd go to the, the Grecians, and you'd have Alexander the Great, and then you'd have the Roman Caesars. You have to think about the significance of all those men who wanted their names carved and etched out in history as the greatest of all kings. And we think about Daniel chapter 4, how Nebuchadnezzar thought he was the greatest king, and he just touted himself as who he was until God humbled him. And now we get to Daniel 25, and the Bible says this. Oh, by the way, in Daniel 8, chapter 8 and Daniel chapter 9, we also have the fact that he's, 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 he's put into there about the future Antichrist, about this Antichrist who would exalt his name. And so, and, and by the way, the Antichrist in Daniel is called the prince that shall come. He's not, the prince that, cut, that shall come is referring to that, the Antichrist here. And so he says, and through his policy also, he shall cause craft to prosper in his hand. He's talking about the Antichrist. And he shall magnify himself in his heart, and by peace he shall destroy many. He shall also stand up against the prince of princes, but he shall be broken without hand. That's talking about later on as we get into the book of Revelation. He shall stand up and he shall blaspheme the name of Jesus Christ, but the Bible says he shall be broken without hand. God will take the beast he will take that Antichrist and the false prophet. And as he comes, the Lord will cast them into that lake of fire. And so he's called the Prince of Princes. He's called in Daniel 9.25, Messiah the Prince. Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the commandment to restore and to build Jerusalem unto Messiah the Prince shall be seven weeks and three score and two weeks. The streets shall be built again and the wall even in troublous times. Now I don't have time to do this for you and you can go back to a message I preached several, a couple years ago from the book of Daniel on this passage. But you can do the countdown from when this prophecy was given to the day that the walls of Jerusalem rebuilt to the day from there. We can take the date and we can almost to the day, we can bring it to the date, the day that Jesus Christ would be crucified there. Daniel's 69 weeks are mentioned. The, the 70th week has not occurred. The 70th week will kick into motion after the rapture. The 70th week represents the seven years of tribulation. But at the 60, but if you went to 62nd week, there would be that time that we start the rebuilding of the walls leading to the 69th week, that time when we can go to the month of April in the year 32 AD when Jesus Christ would be crucified. I mean, they have it right down there and refers to the fact the time that the Messiah shall be cut off there. I mean, you start, you just stop there and we can see scripture has announced about the prophecy of Jesus and we can go to the New Testament and see every fulfillment there. Micah 5, 2, which we looked at Sunday morning. He's the everlasting ruler. Again, speaking about the fact he would be descending from the throne of David. He's the everlasting ruler that would come forth out of Egypt. It says, but thou Bethlehem Ephratah, though thou should, uh, he would come forth out of Bethlehem, excuse me, but, but thou Bethlehem Ephratah, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall he come forth 
forth unto me that is to be ruler in Israel, whose going forth had been from of old, from everlasting. Then something interesting, Hosea 11.1. 1. Hosea 11.1 1 speaks about when Jesus is a young child. At the time that, uh, that the wise men have departed another way because they were warned by an angel, don't go back the same way and don't go back to see Herod. They warned them to go another way. And the angel that night came also to Joseph and told J- Joseph, you need to take the mother and the young child and you need to flee into Egypt because they will pursue after you. And the prophecy for that was given in, in, over there in Hosea 11.1. 1. It says, when Israel was a child, then I loved him. And he said, and I called my son out of Egypt. Well, we have the fulfillment of that in Matthew chapter 2, verses 14 to 15. In Matthew chapter 2, verse 14 to 15, is when Joseph takes the young child Jesus and Mary, and he takes them into Egypt and stays there until the death of Herod. Now, all of that, now we go to Matthew chapter 1. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 1. I want you to look at there with me, please. The Old Testament has these wonderful, wonderful prophecies about the first appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. Matthew, to give us a greater appreciation and love for the Word of God. Matthew is nothing short of fulfillment after fulfillment after fulfillment. Matthew was written to the Jews. Matthew 1.1. Jesus can prove his ancestry to Abraham and to David. You notice here, the genealogy here does not start, does not give his human genealogy. It gives his Hebrew genealogy. It proves his ancestry all the way back to Abraham. He could prove that he was of Jewish descent. His human ancestry is found in Luke chapter 3, traced back through Mary, through Mary's lineage. But his Hebrew lineage is found here in Matthew chapter 1. Now, as important as Matthew is writing this, he had to prove the ancestry of Jesus Christ, his heritage, going back to Abraham as a Jew and to David as being king, because he had to demonstrate and solidify right up front that Jesus Christ is the king of the Jews there. So notice he says here, the book of the generations of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. We'll go down now to verse 17. I'm not going to read all the names there before time. But so all the generation from Abraham to David are 14 generations. And from David until the carrying wind to Babylon are 14 generations. I wish I had time to show you some things there. We, as we read through the Old Testament, you'll appreciate this in your Bible reading next year. You'll read some times where there was somebody that tried to wipe out the kings. Like maybe there was a, maybe like uh, Athaliah when she, when she tried to kill all the baby boys. But the one baby boy that was taken, uh, uh, Joash was taken and, and he was hidden there. Remember that? Well, Satan was trying to work in that situation. He wanted to kill the seed from coming. Because remember, Genesis 3.15 says, speaks of the woman's seed. Satan's plot from that moment on was to kill off the difference, the, the seed that we born. He would try to kill off people there. He would try to uh, kill them off in different ways. And, uh, and, he, and he thought he could stop it when, when, when Abel was killed there. But you could, couldn't stop the fulfillment of God. Well, you notice here, now we get here and we notice here that he gives us these generations of the, of the proceeding of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so the generation from Abraham to David are 14 generations. And from David until the carrying away to Babylon are 14 generations. And for the carrying way to Babylon, notice unto Christ of 14 generations. Now notice here from verses 16 to 23. In verses 16 to 23, Matthew proves Jesus entering to the world through a virgin birth. Now many times we will go to Luke, which we should, Luke chapter 1 and Luke chapter 2, to validate the virgin birth. But I want to encourage you tonight, brother and sister Christ, don't forget Matthew chapter 1. Notice Matthew verse 16, Matthew 1 verse 16. And Jacob begat Joseph, 
Notice this very carefully. Every word of God is, is pure. Every word of God is inspired. The husband of Mary. He's not called the father of Jesus. That's important. Praise God for that. Amen. The husband of Mary, of whom, of whom speaking of who? Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who is called Christ, Messiah. We get to verse 18. Mary is found with child of the Holy Ghost. Look how it's worded. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ was on this way. As you can imagine Matthew writing this. He's saying, now, I've got to get, pronou- I've got to get profound, substantiated significance to the virgin birth, because that's what he's doing here. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise, when as his mother, now the speaking of Jesus, Mary was espoused to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. He makes no bones about the fact, he points out there by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, that she, that, 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 that conceiving inside of her was by the Holy Spirit of God, which we read about in Luke chapter 1. Verse 20. The angel validates Mary's conception of the Holy Ghost. He tells, I believe this is Gabriel, even though his name is not mentioned. I believe Gabriel went to Joseph as he did to Mary. He said, how do you know that, Pastor? Well, number one, Mary was living in Nazareth when he came to her. Joseph also lived in Nazareth. It was nothing to the angel just to go over to Joseph's house, to visit with Joseph, to tell him the same thing there. In verse 23, the quotation from Isaiah 7:14 is given to us. That came to mind. He quotes it here. In verse 16, 18, 20, 24, Joseph is referred to as the husband of Mary, never as the father of Joseph. We look at verse 16, we look at verse 18, look at verse 20. Now, while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David. Now we find the lineage here. Thou son of David, fear not. To take unto thee Mary thy wife. And he puts a semicolon there. For that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. He says, uh, now Joseph, I want to help you out here. He says, I know you're worried. I know you're anxious. You think Mary cheated on you. You think there was another man that fathered a child. I want you to know, she's with child by the Holy Spirit of God. Now, that's profound. That's a great, that's a, man, if there's nothing more comforting, it's comforting to him to know that what happened to her was of God. And he's starting to put scripture together in all these things here. Notice verse 24. Then Joseph being raised... From sleep did, and I wish I could put the word in there promptly, he did as the angel Lord had bidden him and took unto him his wife. He had great faith in what the angels just told him. I mean, we read this, we can prove the entry of our Lord Jesus Christ to a virgin birth. Then verse 21, the angel said, and he, she shall bring forth a son. Now he tells Joseph, she's going to have a son. And thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Now, Christ was not added to that because Christ was already in their mind that this was the Messiah. But in their mind, the name Jesus gave significance to the fact that the very name meant he shall save his people from their sins. Well, now we go to Luke chapter 2, verses 1 to 11, and we find his virgin birth at Bethlehem, which we spent some time on. But let me just give you from a few things just by recap here. In Luke chapter 2, verses 1 to 5, God used a census by, by Caesar to bring Joseph and Mary out of Nazareth into Bethlehem. I said this on Sunday. The distance, the travel distance from Nazareth to the north to Bethlehem to the south was about 90 miles. 90 rugged, difficult miles. Depending on how fast you traveled, it could take anywhere from four to seven days. And most likely, because she was within, she was within days of giving birth to Jesus, it probably took them at least that seven days to get there. The Bible tells us when she's down there at Bethlehem, that they're, they, they do this census taking. They register their names so they're, that they're found. And she says, Joseph, I can't go back. I am great with child. 
and she gives birth to the, ba- to the baby Jesus there. She's, Jesus is born in Bethlehem, fulfilling Micah chapter 5, verse 2 there. It fulfills it. As I said on Sunday, the bread of life was born in the place called the house of bread. And the Bible says in verse 7 of Luke chapter 2, verse 7, Mary brought forth her firstborn son. And that's significant to prove that she had no other children prior to Jesus. She had no relationship with the man. She was, she had a virgin birth. It was her firstborn son. And then the, then the angel said in verse 11, for unto you is born this day in the city of David. Notice this. He gives significance to the purpose of Christ. He says unto you is born in this day in the city of David, a savior, which is Christ or Messiah or the anointed one, the Lord. So, I mean, all this is coming together. We see Messiah, the prince, the prince of life, the prince who is called the Savior, Jesus Christ himself. Matthew 2, verses 1 to 11, further validates the birth of Christ at Bethlehem by way of the visit from the wise men from the east. They just give validation to that. And how Micah 5, 2 was there for the people of Jerusalem, for all the scribes and everyone there, but they didn't bother to look it up or to check it out. But these wise men from the east, these, these Gentiles, they checked out the scriptures. And as they checked out the scriptures, they started studying the astronomy. As they studied the astronomy, they saw this star and they said, that's the star of Jacob. We read about it in Numbers 24, 17. And so they prepared themselves. They came with this caravan, these men. It was a caravan of men. By the way, people ask how many of them were. Well, we know this. The Bible doesn't tell a number, but it was more than three. There were three types of gifts that were given. There were more than three. There was a caravan of men that came that brought substantial, wonderful gifts. Probably through way these gifts. That's how Joseph made his way to Egypt and sustained himself during that time. We don't know, but they gave them gifts worthy of a king. They gave them gifts to speaking about Jesus Christ and his dominion as king. They gave him gifts to speak about Jesus Christ, about his deity as, 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 the, as the God-man. They gave him gifts to speak about his death on the cross, that frankincense and myrrh. And I'm just saying today, when we look at that, we read about all these things and we see scripture being fulfilled. Then John chapter 1 verse 14, John takes a different angle from that. God works on John to speak about the deity of Jesus Christ being manifested here. And so he speaks about him no longer as being the verbal word, but the living word. In John 1, 14, he's the word that was made flesh. And he said he dwelt among us. Now, the word dwelt among us is a very important phrase because it literally means this. He tabernacled with us. Now, you go to the, over there to the book of Revelation and it says we, the tabernacle of God, of, man, of God is among men. We get the word tabernacle right here from John 1.14. He tabernacled or with us. He dwelt with us. He dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glories of the only begotten of the Father. Now you have to think about tabernacle. You have to think about the Holy of Holies. You got to think about the glory of God and the Shekinah glory. And all of a sudden this kind of starts to get to, this starts getting real exciting because we're talking about the holiness of God coming down on that Holy of Holies as the high priest alone would enter into there with the blood of an animal, the blood of a lamb. And he sprinkle on the mercy seat and the Shekinah glory would come down there. Well, he's saying here, the Shekinah glory of God, the wonderfulness of the glory of Jesus Christ dwelt and walked among us. The Holy of Holies was right there with us, he was saying there, full of grace and truth, he said. In 2 Corinthians 5.19, he's God in Christ reconciling the world unto himself. Galatians 4, verses 4 to 5. God sent forth His Son to redeem them that were under the law. Listen to what it says. And when the fullness of the time was come. I mean, God knew the timing was right. When the fullness of time was come, God sent forth His Son. But how did He send His Son? Through a woman made of a woman. In other words, He would con- be conceived in a womb. And she would give birth by way of a natural birth. She God sent forth His Son made of a woman, made under the law. For what purpose? To redeem them that were under the law. Philippians chapter 2, verses 7 and 8. He is the servant who is made in the likeness of man 
and, and who died on the cross for our sins. First Timothy 3.16, he was God manifest in the flesh. And he starts off this way. Pa- Paul said this, and without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. He said, now there may be some out there, Timothy, that are still in denial or still doubting about the deity of Jesus Christ. But I want to tell you, I want to teach it to you this way. He says, without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God is speaking about Jesus Christ. God was manifest in the flesh. Then I think about the fact in 1 John 4.14, the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. He, he talks about that there in 1 John 4.14. And then Revelation 12.5, we don't think about this much, but I, I, I kind of thought about that when I was preaching through the book of Revelation. Matt, Revelation 12.5 speaks is about Israel represented by a woman giving birth to a man-child. The man-child is Jesus Christ here. And it says here, and she, uh, she brought forth a man-child who is to rule all nations with a rod of iron, and her child was caught up unto God and to his throne. Now, what am I saying there tonight? Prophecy, Old Testament prophecy and its fulfillment in the New Testament uh, concerning the appearance of Jesus into the world is woven all throughout the Scripture. He is the, he is the seed of the woman. He is Shiloh, come out of Judah. He is, the set, he, is the, he is the scepter and the star of Jacob. He is the great I am. He's the seed of David. He's Emmanuel, God with us. He, was, he came forth out of Bethlehem. He's the child that was born, the son that was given. His name is Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace, and incorporates all of his deity. He's Messiah, the Prince. He's the Prince of Princes. He's the virgin-born Son of God who entered this world with a sinless life, lived a sinless life, and ascended to heaven as the sinless Son of God. He's the Word who became flesh and dwelt among us. He's the servant who became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. He's the Prince of Life and the Prince and Savior. He's Jesus who is our Lord. He's Jesus, the blessed and only potentate. He's the King, Jesus, the King eternal, immortal, the only wise God. He's, he's Jesus who is Christ. He's Jesus who is the Savior of the world. What does that all mean? I'm glad I know who Jesus is. That's what it means. I'm glad I know who Jesus is. Jesus is God who came in the flesh. Jesus Christ is the Word who became flesh. Jesus Christ is the Prince of Princes. Jesus Christ is the Savior of the world. He's more than just a story. He is the King of glory. May I remind you tonight, history about our Lord Jesus Christ is simply and purely His story. It's His story about Him entering to this world. As we close tonight, I think of the words the Apostle Paul wrote in Hebrews 9.28. Hebrews 9.28, Paul said this, So Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many. And unto them that look for him shall he, be, shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation. My friend, tonight, we are not looking for the first appearing of Christ. He's come already. Thank God he's come. Amen. He's come. He was born in Bethlehem. He was born of a virgin birth. He is the seed of David. He can prove his ancestry and lineage to Abraham and, and if you would, to David. And even when we read Matthew chapter 1, we read about five women that are there in the gospel story. And each of them wonderfully and beautifully pictured to us the gospel presented in their lives. But Jesus Christ has come already. We're not looking for Jesus to come on his first appearing. My friend, he's come already. And he came to die for your sins and mine. He is Jesus the Christ, the Jehovah who saves Christ, the anointed one. He's come already. But what we are looking for is the second coming of Christ. We are looking for the rapture. We're looking to where Paul said, Unto him that look for him shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation. We're looking for Jesus to come again. And by the way, beloved, I can't think of a better Christmas than if Jesus were to come on Christmas Day. That'd be wonderful. We can go up together and be with the Lord forever and forever. 
Adrian Rogers, who was a great preacher, who went home to be with the Lord back around the, the turn of the year 2000 or so, wrote this about the Lord Jesus Christ. He said he came the first time to die, but he's coming again to raise the dead. When he came the first time, they questioned whether he was king, but he said the next time the world will know that he's king of kings and lord of lords. The first time he wore a crown of thorns, the next time he'd be wearing a crown of glory. The first time he came in poverty, the next time he came in, he's coming in power. The first time he had an escort of angels, the next time he'll come with ten thousands of his saints. The first time he came in meekness, the second time he's coming again in majesty. I'm glad I know who Jesus is, and you should be glad you know who Jesus is. I want to ask you tonight, if you're watching by live stream and you're not saved, do you know who Jesus is? Do you know for the fact that he came for one reason? He came to be born in this world so that he can take on your sins and die for you. He's the summation of John 3.16. God so loving the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. The greatest Christmas gift you can receive tonight is the gift of eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. I'm glad I know who Jesus is. I'm glad that, that back on December 4th, 1971, that I called on the Lord, Lord to be my Savior, and that He saved me, and I'm thankful that I've been His ever since then and will always be His. But if you're not saved today, you need to get saved and call upon tonight. And we invite you to do so. My friend, for every one of you, I pray that you'll have the best Christmas ever, a wonderful Christmas, a safe Christmas, a holy Christmas. I hope that you'll reflect on the prophecies of the appearing of Jesus Christ. The seed of the woman, the very first mention, to the moment of time when Mary conceived and brought forth the Son, and His name was called Jesus the Christ. This morning, this evening, we have much to thank God for. He gave us His unspeakable gift. Jesus Christ is the good gift and the perfect gift. They came down from above, from the Father of lights, in whom there's no variableness, neither shadow of turning.